The second reading from the Bible this morning is from the book of Colossians, uh, chapter 2. It's found on page 1016 in the Bibles in the pew. That's 1016, Colossians chapter 2. And I'll be starting at verse 1 and reading down to verse 7. So Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body... I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. Nice to see you. Uh, my name is Paul. I haven't met you. Uh, it's good to be here again. Today's sermon is slightly different. We'll just look at two verses, uh, verses 6 and 7 of Colossians, because they are the, the key verses to the whole of this letter. Uh, Paul says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So I'm going to pray. Our Father, we ask that you would uh, fill us with an understanding of these verses, that we would know, believe, and live them out. Father, we ask that we might leave this place firmly established, rooted and built up, and overflowing with gratitude and awe and wonder at you. In Jesus' name, amen. So April is quite a big month in our household. I'm owning this. I turned 50 in April. And no, 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 please don't celebrate that. (laughs) And we are celebrating 10 years of marriage. Ten years since uh, Rachel and I stood under the Harbour Bridge with lots of people and celebrated God's goodness, celebrated God's kindness, and made these promises. Uh, We said to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. So here's the reality, a marriage is more than a wedding day. A marriage is more than a wedding day. When I do marriage prep with people, I often say to the people, don't just focus on your wedding day. 
Focus on your marriage. And as you grow together and discover things about each other, some things you like and some things you don't like, but you work hard on that relationship. There's a massive difference between falling in love and growing in love. That's why I can't stand the Hollywood movie weddings. In a Hollywood movie, they always ask the wrong question. You ever notice that? What they ask is this, see if you can spot it. Do you take this woman to be your wife? Do you take this man to be your husband? Do you? That's not what we ask. We ask, will you? And there's a big difference. Do you means do you today, at this moment in time, take this person to be your wife or your husband? We're not asking that. It's saying, will you do this tomorrow, next week, next year, and for years to come? Will you work hard at your relationship to make sure you keep loving each other? And the sad reality, very sad reality, is that I've seen many couples bitter and angry, and you're thinking, what went wrong? It's it's like that, you know, with our Christian lives, with our relationship with Jesus. It's, It's not about starting well with Jesus. It's about keeping on with Jesus. It's not about falling in love with Jesus. It's about growing in your love for Jesus. Now, I remember falling in love with Jesus 30 years ago. I still remember the day when I thought, yes, I believe this. And I felt like that, that person in the book of Acts who is you know, leaping for joy and say, praising God. I think, wow, my guilt is gone. I have peace with my Lord. But I haven't lived the last 30 years on that mountaintop experience. I've lived the past 30 years every day getting to know Jesus better. And I can honestly say I love Jesus better today than I did 30 years ago. And I hope you know this, the the wonderful feelings you you might have had when you first became a Christian. Normally they don't last because life happens. Trials and tragedies and sufferings and disappointments and health problems and doubt and pain. And it's not about starting well, it's keeping on loving Jesus. And again, as a pastor, the sad reality is I've watched many people who started off really well. And you think they've become a Christian. But I can look back on 20 years of ministry and go, oh, that, that man who walked away from God because he was bitter with God and that woman who walked away from God because she was angry with God and a truckload of people who've been sucked in by a prosperity gospel or a liberal gospel or a perfectionist gospel or a truckload of people who the wealths and the worries of life have just consumed them. They're no longer trusting in Jesus. And I have to say that often I meet Christians and they do love Jesus, but it's almost like their their relationship with Jesus has not moved on in the past 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And that is deeply sad. See, Paul is saying in these verses, you started with Jesus, well, stick with Jesus. The way you start is, is a way that you continue. The way in is the way on. So make sure you start with Christ and make sure you stick with Christ. There are two points this morning. Start with Christ, stick with Christ. Verse six, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. I wanna ask you, have you received him as Lord? When was that? When did you first meet the Lord Jesus Christ and say, he is Lord of my life? This is Charles Simeon's 
testimony. He's the founder of evangelicalism in the UK. In Passion Week, as I was reading Bishop Wilson on the Lord's Supper, I met with an expression to this effect. The Jews knew what they did when they transferred their sin to the head of their offering. And a thought came to my mind, what, may I transfer my guilt to another? Has God provided an offering for me that I might lie my sins on his head? Accordingly, I sought to lay my sins upon the sacred head of Jesus. On Wednesday, I began to have a hope of mercy. On Thursday, the hope increased. On Good Friday and Saturday, it became even more strong. And on Sunday morning, on Easter morning, April the 4th, I woke early with these words upon my heart. Jesus Christ is risen today. Hallelujah. And at that moment, the peace of God flowed in rich abundance into my soul. That was his conversion. And when was that for you? There was a moment in your life when you first said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. Paul says, so then, because of everything we've learned, because we've learned that God is doing amazing work throughout the world in his gospel, that we've learned that that Jesus is Lord of of creation and Lord of the church and Lord of reconciliation, because of all of this, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. So how did you start? He's not talking about the way that you received Christ. That's obvious. It's, It's by grace. It's through faith. He's talking about the Christ that you received. He's saying, look back on your conversion. Who was that Jesus that you received as your Lord and your Messiah? Let's unpack verse 6. The word order here is so important. You see what he says? Just as you received, we expect him to say, Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what he normally says. But he, he changes the order, and that is significant. Just as you received the Christ... The Jesus as your Lord, he's saying. I want to unpack each word. Received the Christ. Received Jesus as your Messiah, as your King, as the Anointed One. Have you done that? As you read the Old Testament, here's what we're looking for in the Messiah. I'm just going to read this out just so you can grasp how wonderful Jesus is. He is the seed of the woman who crushed the serpent's head, Genesis 3. He is a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the greater prophet spoken about by Moses in Deuteronomy 18. He is the greater son of David, 2 Samuel 7. He is the one born in Bethlehem, Micah 5. Born of a virgin, Isaiah 7. The one who would speak in parables and bind up the brokenhearted and heal the sick and cleanse the leper and give sight to the blind and give healing to the deaf and raise the dead, Isaiah 29. He is the one who would enter Jerusalem on a donkey, Zechariah 9. He's the one who would be betrayed by his close friends for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11. He is the one who would be rejected by his own people, spat on, beaten, struck, yet remain silent, Isaiah 53. He is the one who would be crucified with robbers and pierced through his hands and his feet, Zechariah 12. The one who would be mocked and forsaken by God, Psalm 22. Soldiers gambling for his clothes, pierced through his side, but no bones are broken, Psalm 34. The one who'd be buried with the rich, Isaiah 52. Resurrected from the dead, Psalm 16. Ascended to the the right hand of God, Psalm 68. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. And when you look at Jesus, do you see that? Do you see the one who's been promised? 
God's anointed prophet who speaks the word of God, God's anointed priest who gives you access to God, God's anointed king who is ruling and reigning with God. Is that the Christ you received, says Paul? He is the Christ. He is Jesus. That's his human name. When he was born, the angel said, you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And that is our biggest need, isn't it? We are not nice people needing nice wisdom and nice advice about how to live a nice life. We are wicked sinners needing a saviour. We are helpless people needing to be plucked out of darkness. We are hopeless without Christ. But that's why Jesus came. Have you done that? Have you received Jesus as your saviour for your sins? Have you laid the burden of your sins and the guilt of your sins at the cross of Calvary once and for all? And I can tell whether you've done that by the way that you sing some of these songs. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Hallelujah, what a saviour. Paul says, have you received him as your Christ? Have you received him as Jesus, your saviour for your sins? Have you received him as Lord? That word Lord in verse 6, it's not a title like Sir. It's about his position. He is master. He is sovereign. He is ruler of your life. Spurgeon said this. The, The apostles preached the lordship of Christ. The word saviour only appears twice in the Acts of the Apostles. The word Lord appears 92 times. The Lord Jesus 13 times. The Lord Jesus Christ six times in that same book. So believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord is a sign that you really are saved. He owns you. He has bought you with his blood. You're his child. You belong to him. So when he speaks, you listen. When he commands, you obey. And you obey with joy because his commands are not burdensome. They are beautiful. So again, I'm going to ask you, have you received him as both your Lord and your Savior? When was that? And the word receive in verse 6 It's a word to accept like a package. You know, the postman arrives at your door and has got a package for you. You can hand over the package, but unless you actually bother to open the package, you haven't really received it. You you put a signature, but it's not really opened. It sits there unopened. To really receive this package, you, you open it, you hold it, and then you enjoy it. You enjoy it. That's what it means to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord. You enjoy him. He's everything to you. He's your all. He's your identity. He is the one who comforts you and cares for you. He is the one who knows what is best for your life. Now, maybe you sit here week in, week out, and you sit here, and you know, actually, you're not in a real relationship with Jesus. I just want to stop right here, right now, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray there's somebody here this morning who has not yet received Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. You do that right now before I unpack the second half of the verse because the second half makes no sense if you are not right with God right now. Uh, Father, I do pray that 
you might open some eyes this morning and soften some hearts. And if there are people here who have not yet received Christ Jesus as their Lord and their Saviour, that you would do that right now. In Jesus' name, amen. But this verse is not about falling in love. It's about growing in love. I love this quote. The mountaintop experiences in the Christian life, they can be so beneficial, but nothing is more profitable than the ongoing, deepening, Christ-centered daily walk of faith. He's saying, just stick with Jesus. Keep walking with Jesus. That's verses six and seven. Just as you received him, continue to live your lives in him. Keep going. You ever seen a, a, a marathon runner? And they start off by running, yep. How does the marathon runner complete the race? Do they decide at the 10-kilometer mark to suddenly get on a bike and finish it on a bike? Or maybe put on some roller skates or some figure skates? Or maybe they stop for a movie. Maybe they stop for a drink at the pub. They just keep on running. And yet sometimes in a marathon, believe me, there are moments in a marathon you are just plodding, but you're still moving in the right direction. That's what Paul is saying here. You started with Christ, stick with Christ. And it, this is not a suggestion, it's a, it's a command. It's an expectation. You continue to live your lives in Christ. Your attitudes, your actions, your decisions, your motivations, today and tomorrow and the next day are all shaped by your relationship with Christ. He doesn't care what you did 20 years ago. What are you going to do today? But that's not quite what the original says. Continue to live your lives is actually just one word, and that word is walk. He just says, walk in Christ. That's it. That's the Christian life, walk in Christ. I know that word walk is not very impressive. You'd rather say run or sprint or gallop or fly. He just says, plod on in your Christian life, keeping on day after day, walking with Jesus. But actually, it's even more beautiful than that. The word walk is a common metaphor in the Bible. But let me show you how beautiful this is. Back in Genesis, Adam and Abraham... Uh, they walked before the Lord. It's almost like in his shadow, like he is their master, they're just his servants. And then you come to these great men of God like Enoch, who, who was taken up to glory, or, or Noah, that was seen to be righteous. It says that they walked with the Lord, almost like hand in hand. But that's not what Paul says. We don't just walk before the Lord or, or with the Lord, we walk in him. In him is the most intimate, beautiful, close relationship you could possibly have. He's saying this is the mystery, you know, that, we, that Christ is in us, the, the hope of glory. We're, we're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. He is the vine, we're just the branches. But we're in him. And when you're in him, you can't do anything without him. He shapes everything. So walk in Christ, says Paul. Easy to say, hard to do. And so Paul gives us four 
different metaphors to show what it looks like to walk in Christ. And if there's any English teachers here, he's going to mix all his metaphors. He says, to, be, to walk in Christ, you are firmly rooted in Christ. See that verse 7? Rooted in him. This is the agricultural metaphor, the, the roots like a tree. And for those who like languages, this is a perfect passive participle. It's something that's already been done for us, already done in the past, but continues in the present. So we have been rooted in Christ. That work has been done, but you've got to put down deeper and deeper and deeper roots. I did some gardening on Friday, which for those who know me is a rarity. Uh, our, our garden was horrific. <laughs> and I went around pulling up all these different weeds, and some of them just came out really easily. But others, I was like just tugging on them because their, deeps were so, their roots were so deep, they'd been left for so long. That's like us, that the deeper your roots are, the more difficult it is to pull you up. And the deeper the roots are, the more that you will flourish in your faith. Now, what would happen if I took a healthy plant and I transplanted that plant from good soil and just stuck it onto some gravel or some rocks? It would just die. And yet some of us here think that we can start with Christ and then live the rest of our lives on the gravel trying to get nutrients from, from other stuff apart from Jesus. Remember the parable that Jesus told of the soils? Some of that seed fell on rocky paths and the roots were really shallow. And so when the persecutions came, they just fell away. And some of the, the seed fell on the, amongst weeds and thorns. And so those weeds and thorns, they choked the roots of the healthy roots. And so they withered. And we need to put deep roots into Christ because he is the source of all our nutrients. He's the, the most fertile soil for life. In him are all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the, the deeper you are in Christ, the more strong you are and the more you will flourish. When you put down deep, deep roots in Christ, a few things happen. Firstly, you, you know. You know and you delight each day that you are not guilty of your sins. The counselors tell me that 75% of their clients struggle with guilt. And we as Christians don't just struggle with guilt because it's been paid for at Calvary. Counselors tell me that 50% of their clients struggle with a sense of abandonment or brokenness or pain. But, but we know in Christ that we are loved and we are cherished and we are chosen and counsellors tell me that about 80% of their, of their clients have no purpose in life. But when you're in Christ, you have purpose. You know, persecutions may come. The weeds and thorns may be there. But you know who you are, you know where you're heading. You know, if you've got deep roots, when the storms come, when the trials come, when the Troubles and the sickness and the suffering and the sadness and the sorrow and depression and disaster, when all those things, you might be blown around, but you are not uprooted. And here's an observation. My fear is that many people in our church have such shallow roots. For many of us here, really sadly, we are reliant on our roots from 
our teenage years or our university years where we flourished in our faith and we put down roots then, but our roots have not gone any deeper since then. And we're kind of living off a faith that is 10, 20, 30 years old. And then we wonder why we're not enjoying our relationship with God like we once, once did. How, did you, how do you put down roots in Christ? There are no shortcuts. Hate to say this. Time with God, spending time in his presence, loving his word, and just knowing Christ better. So you walk in him by firm roots. Uh, you walk in him by being built up. This is a construction metaphor, the building site metaphor. You ever done any home renos or watched a, a block of units go up? It's pretty amazing. Like, I've been watching this, uh, this building up at Shaw School. Months and months and months, the foundation slab is laid. And then it seems like almost overnight, this building suddenly goes up. And you're like, whoa, where did that come from? And there's other weeks I walk past and you go, oh, there's been no work this week because there's been no additional level. There has been work. It's been the, the wiring or it's been the plumbing. It's just that you can't see it. But if you're doing a building project, you just don't stop building until you finish, do you? And that's like us being built up in Christ. The, the, the word there is a, a present passive plural participle. Again, it's God's work. God is the one who builds us up. But we've got a responsibility. It's a bit like God has given you personally. When the moment you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, he gave you personally this building kit. He's laid down the foundation slab in your life and he's given you every single brick you're going to need for your whole life. He's given you all the plasterboard and all the paint and all the wiring and all the plumbing. You've got everything you need and a team of people to help you to build the building. But you've got to get off your backside and start to do some building work. You can't sit here and say, oh, oh dear, woe is me, I haven't been built up in Christ. You are responsible for your own sanctification. You are responsible for the way that you're living your life. You've got the, the cornerstone, you've got the foundations, you've got all, everything you need, so why aren't you growing? Why aren't you growing in Christ? Why aren't you, are you being built up? And I think the answer to that is because I think we're too easily satisfied. We are satisfied with where we're at as a Christian, as though we, we built our first level of our house. Why bother building the second and the third and the fourth level? Why bother? Because the building gets more beautiful the, the taller it gets. And I can honestly say that my joy in the Lord is better today than it was 30 years ago. Can I just keep on building, keep on growing? How do you build yourself up? Well, you do the rest of Colossians. You speak kindly. You put to death the lust of your flesh. You make different decisions. You make different priorities. Your words, your actions will really show whether you're being built up in Christ. It's interesting that that word built up is a plural word because we need each other. We need each other to build each other up. We need each other to encourage, to rebuke, to admonish, to carry our burdens, to point out our sins. So we walk in Christ by deep roots, by ongoing building. Uh, thirdly, we, we walk in Christ by being strengthened. This is a, a word from the gymnasium. 
You ever seen those men or women who you walk into the gym and they're just pumping the, the biggest amount of iron? You're like, whoa, I wish I could do that. Here's a secret. They couldn't always do that. They started off with those really lightweights. But the more training you do, the stronger you get. And again, it's a bit like the moment you became a Christian, the moment you received Christ Jesus, Lord, God gave you a gym membership, the gym kit, the gym shoes, and the alarm clock set at 6 a.m. so you can get out of your bed and go to the gym. He's given you everything. But you are responsible as to whether you bother to go to that gym and do some strength training. He says, being strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And again, God does this. He strengthens us. He equips us. The faith is literally the beliefs, the doctrines, the truths that you were taught. I know that doctrine is a dirty word, but it's a delightful word. And then the more that you fill your mind with truths about God, the more time you spend just grappling with who God is, what he's done, what he's like. The more you fill your mind with doctrinal truths, the stronger you become in your faith. And a bit like those really strong, powerful weightlifters, you start to think, whoa, how do they do that? And you meet these Christians, you're thinking, how do they keep strong in the faith? Because they put in the effort. They are lifetime students, and so should we be. Here's a warning for you. If you're not being strengthened in your faith, if you're not strong in your faith, you will lack discernment. You will lack discernment. Because we live in an age where you can read all kinds of utter garbage on the internet about Christ. And you can walk into these bookshops full of so-called Christian books and there's nothing Christian about them. There's nothing biblical about them. But if you don't know your Bibles, if you're not being strengthened in doctrinal truths, you'll be a sitting duck for false teaching. Number four, you are overflowing with thankfulness. I love this one. This is the only active verse here. It's the only thing that we do. God does the rest. God roots us. God builds us. God strengthens us. And we are called to overflow with thankfulness. Not just being thankful, but overflowing. Isn't that a beautiful word? It's the word there is a, a river that has burst its banks. You ever seen that? A, a river that has burst its banks. You just can't contain the water. Or a, a, a water main that's just burst on the streets and there's water spouting everywhere. It's saying the sign that you really are a Christian is when you open your mouth, out of your mouth just comes this tirade of gratitude and thankfulness and praise to your God. Is that you? Does your cup runneth over? Do you wake up each day saying, I, I'm done with moaning, I'm done with whinging, I'm done with grumbling. I just want to praise my God and thank my God. Thank you, God, for sleep. And thank you, God, for this beautiful day. And thank you for a home. And thank you for holidays. And thank you for work. And thank you for friends. And thank you for family. And thank you for health. And thank you for food. Do you ever do that? See, gratitude to God, it, it should come flooding out of us. It's a big theme of Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 3, we always thank God. Chapter 1, verse 12, being thankful. 
chapter 3, verse 15. Be thankful, chapter 3, verse 17. Giving thanks to God the Father. Chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. See, thankfulness is the opposite of grumbling and thankfulness is the opposite of pride. So when you realise that it is God who's rooted you and God who is building you and God who is strengthening you, you can do nothing but thank him. G.K. Chesson said this. You give thanks before meals. That's all right. But I give thanks before the concert and the opera. I give thanks before the play and the pantomime. I give thanks before I open a book. I give thanks before sketching and painting. I give thanks before swimming or fencing or boxing. I give thanks before going on a walk. I give thanks before playing or dancing. I give thanks before I dip my pen in the ink. I just give thanks. Does that describe you as a Christian man or woman who's just overflowing with gratitude for what God has done for you and who you are in Christ? Often when I'm doing marriage counselling with people, I say, just think of what you're thankful for about your partner rather than grumbling all the time. So if you want to grow in your faith, make sure you've got deep roots, a big building, Flex your strength muscles. And when you open your mouth, just pour out praise and gratitude. This is a tragedy, you know, when I look back at weddings that I have done. And I think I was there when you made those promises. But you're not working on your marriage. There's a, a verse in Ephesians 2 that scares the bejeebies out of me. When Paul says to the, uh, so John says to Jesus, Jesus says to the Ephesian church, you have lost your first love. You've lost your first love. You once had this deep passion for Jesus, but it's called, you've compromised. It's become routine and mundane. And I do believe there's people here today and that describes you. You started well with Jesus, but you've stopped loving him. You've stopped growing, and you're too easily satisfied. Let me pray. Father, we come to you now asking that we might continue in Christ. Father, for those of us here with shallow roots, would you help us this week to put down deeper roots into Christ? Help us to delight in your word, to spend time with you, to discover the joy of Jesus. Help us to keep on growing, to being built up. Lord, help us to change our words, our attitudes, our actions, our decisions. May they be all shaped by our relationship with you. Father, we long to know you better, so please strengthen us in the faith that we were taught. Give us time just to sit and to ponder who you are. And Father, as we open our mouths throughout this week, May words of gratitude and praise and thanksgiving come tumbling out. We ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen.